Mm. And I realized I've been living that middle life for so long and it's just mm. not, it's not full enough for me. You're listening to the Experience Sikhi podcast, a deeper look into the Sikh identity. We present to you open, honest, and inspiring stories. No armor, pretense, or sugarcoating. Welcome to the Experience Sikhi podcast. I'm Dharaj Singh. And I'm Gurleen Gaur. We begin the podcast by acknowledging that we are meeting on Aboriginal land that has been inhabited by Indigenous peoples from the beginning. As settlers, we're grateful for the opportunity to meet here, and we thank all the generations of people who have taken care of this land for thousands of years. In particular, we acknowledge the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek and the Huron-Wendat. And also some reminders, if you guys like the podcast, please remember to comment, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, and all other listening platforms. You can also send us questions and feedback at podcast at once again, that's podcast at experienceiki.com. Our guest today is Gurleen Gaur. Gurleen Gaur is an elementary school teacher currently teaching in the Peel District School Board as a long-term occasional teacher. Anyone who knows Gurleen knows she is a natural-born teacher. She has worked in a range of environments where she learned valuable lessons that she'll be sharing with us today. She talks about the importance of arts and how social media and technology impact a child's education. She'll also touch on important topics that teachers face such as recent strike in Ontario and the struggles teachers have when looking for work in Ontario. This is a great resource if you're looking to become educated on one of the most important careers in our society. So here's Gurleen Gaur. Welcome Gurleen Gaur. Thanks for being on the podcast with us today. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. I feel very honored to be part of the ES podcast. Oh, well, we feel honored to have you here. Um, so why don't we start off this episode by, again, just a bit about yourself. Uh, who is Gurleen Gaur? Uh, oh, Gurleenkor is a whole mix of things. Um, well, I'm a teacher at public uh, at the Peel District School Board. I've been teaching for the past five years. I started off with private school, made my way into public school. Uh, so that's my passion. That's my dream job. Um, the love of my life is teaching. Uh, beyond that, I like to do Seva with Experience Sikhi. So something started in 2013. Um, but that was um, after I was doing Seva with SSAs at University of Waterloo. Uh, and uh, yeah, I love to read, love watching Netflix. And uh, I love being uh, with kids. So that's my, those are my hobbies, passions in a, in a sense. Um, and, uh, I'm a, well, trying to be the best Gursik I could be. Uh, that started off with, uh, uh, when I was at actually University of Waterloo, I went to school there for my undergrad. Um, and I didn't really know much about Sikhi, but I did know that I did have this sort of pull. Uh, I started taking something and there was something that was kind of clicking and I heard, uh, University of Waterloo would, had a really good SSA. And I think that's all like Maraj di Kirpa that I got there. I still remember the day that I was accepting my acceptances um, from university, like trying to figure out where to go. And I'm sitting at the kitchen table and we were talking about all these different schools that I could be at. And my mom's making a roti and I'm just like, mom, you know what? I think I'm just do Waterloo. She's like, yeah, yeah, okay. And I went to Waterloo. <laughs> there was no thought process. There was nothing like it was just random. I was sitting at the kitchen table and I'm like, yeah, this is where I'm going to be. And now I look back at it and I go, oh, now I know why. Because I went to Waterloo and I found who I was. 
uh, I went in thinking that I'm this biology student, um, undergrad student, and I want to become a teacher or something in terms of science field. Uh, but I came out realizing that there was this whole part of me missing and I didn't even know. Um, I went to uh, the Cubs Fair, the uh, people that were standing at the SSA booth, they saw me, they saw that I was wearing a kura, and they're like, oh my god, you have a kura on, come sign in, come into our uh, meetings. And I go and I, you know, we're all like hanging out and I go into this meeting and they all stop what they're doing and they start doing rara the part. I was like, oh, you do part outside of a Gurdwara? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I just thought you did that when you were at a Gurdwara, but okay. So I sat down and do that outside with them. Um, and we were just having these discussions and it was such a welcoming space. They knew that I knew nothing, yet they would talk to me as if my opinion had some sort of, um, like it had some sort of value there. Like they talked to me like I knew what I was talking about and they made me feel very welcoming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember uh, coming into um, these meetings and I would be talking and then one day they invited me to have uh, come to a get-together because some of the members of the SSA were graduating. And they come to the get-together and I get ready because I think it's going to be a fun day. We're all like hanging at somebody's house. We're not at, at the prayer room. And I come in and they're doing kirtan. I was like, oh, these are your kinds of get-togethers. <laughs> wow, right? And it was just so like, so life changing for me. And then I remember they asked me to come to the Rans Vaikirtan that they do in April. So I go to this Rans Vaikirtan um, and they, ha- we make us, they had us come early to make all the langar and clean. And then at 6 p.m. we were done everything. And so then you can actually sit and listen to the kirtan. So they're like, okay, 6 p.m. Rada Sab is starting. Everybody get to the van. So we get into the van. There's only about like 10 of us at this moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, start Rada Sab. And then the next shove starts. And then the next shove starts. And they had the um, PowerPoint on, Sikhi to the Max. Yeah. And I'm reading along and I'm going, oh my God, that's what I feel. And I thought the entire time Guru Sahib Ji was having a conversation with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how do you know that these are the things that I'm feeling inside me right now? And I ended up sitting there. I've never been able to do this again, so that's the only reason I'm going to talk about it, because it's not like I'm doing my vardiai. Mm-hmm. It's the only time I've been able to do that. I sat there from 6 p.m. till 4 a.m. Wow. without having to get up. I didn't even get up to eat dinner, because I felt like every shabd was talking to me. Like, I felt for the first time as having a conversation with, um, with, like, with Maharaj. This, this mystical thing we always thought that existed, but all of a sudden it wasn't mystical anymore. All of a sudden mm-hmm. it was so real and so tangible. Um, I remember going home and I was like, oh, I don't want to go to sleep yet. So I showered and I did my nithname. And then, uh, and I had, I was wearing a chunni. So then I, while well, I was doing my nithname and I kind of just went to sleep with it on my head and I woke up and I was going to study um, and I went to school and I'm like, I'm not ready to take off my chunni yet. And so I, um, I, I go on, I go outside with the scarf, like with the patka on and my friends come back from uh, Brampton because they had gone home for the weekend and they see me and they're like, Oh, this is this is a new game. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so we were supposed to go out that Thursday night. And I remember I'm supposed to be getting ready for going out Thursday night and I was gonna wear like a skirt and I wanted to shave my legs, but then I all of a sudden couldn't shave my legs either. And then I wanted to like, okay, well just like, you know, I'll just wear pants and a nice top and then we're about to go and um I go to my friend's house and as we're walking towards this party, uh all of a sudden I'm like, I don't wanna be there anymore. So then I just kind of let them go to the party and I kind of walked away. 
And then on my way home, there was a marble slab. And all of a sudden, I was like, I have no friends. <laughs> like, why did I do this? So I go to marble slabs and I eat this huge bowl of ice cream. And I go, you know what, Green? I need to decide if this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Or um, do I kind of still want to live the middle life where I'm having fun with my friends, but I'm also getting to see key. Mm-hmm. And I realized I've been living that middle life for so long. And it's just mm-hmm. not, it's not full enough for me. And I did that and I just decided to jump into Siki. And so ever since uh, my years at University of Waterloo, being a Gursik has made me whole. So my passions, my hobbies, anything, my teaching career, all of it relates back to me finding my Siki and being whole again. Because that is, um, that is why I'm here, right? And everything else that I do is supposed to fuel my Siki. So it always comes back to where my Siki is at and helping it become better. So um, a lot of the transition happened in university for you into Siki. Um, was your family growing up, was your family religious? Before then, how did they react to this new transformation of Gurleen Uh My parents, we were not religious. Um, I don't want to say at all, but we were not religious. We went to the Gurdwara for programs. Um, we, you know, would matatek and take deg and sit down and so forth. Um, but we really didn't understand Sikhi. Um, it wasn't until um, my dadaji passed away and then six hours later or 12 hours later, my nanaji passed away. They were best friends and they both wow. passed away 12 hours from one another. Um, and we went through that whole, we had a double casket funeral. We went through all of that and it was very, very tough time in our lives. And I remember driving home, uh, my brother was in the car and I was in the car with my mom. And I go, and I, I didn't want to ask this question because I didn't want to know the answer, but I just, it was bothering me so much. I had to ask, I'm like, mom, where are they right now? Where is Dadaji? Where is Nanaji? Are they gonna ever gonna come visit us? Like, will we see them again? My mom's like, honestly, I don't know. I don't know what happens when you die. Um, so we ended up going to Gurmat class um, at, at Dixie Gurdwara, and we were getting some answers there. And then that's kind of like how our Sikhi path joined, uh, started. So this was like um, mid uh, high school for me. I think, like, you know, grade nine, grade 10, we kind of started asking questions. We started getting interested. Grade 11, grade 12, we were more into it. I started taking Santhya. Um, but once again, in my Santhya class, they were all old people. So for me, it was just like Sikhi is something that you do when you're old, mm-hmm. right? Um, it was until, you know, I got to University of Waterloo and I saw kids doing pa, ten twinkies, then that I go, oh, this is something you can capture right now. Um, so I go to University of Waterloo and we're all kind of like learning a little bit more about Sikhi. And I had that one weekend where it all changed for me, right? That ends by Kirtan and I come home wearing that parka. And it was interesting. My mom and my dad see me and they go, oh, really? You started wearing a parka? That's interesting because a um, couple months ago, I went to uh, such a soda and I got uh, the tape of Geni Maskin Singh Ji's Katha and Japti Sahib. Mm-hmm. My mom goes, I've been reading that. I was listening, listening to that while I've been um, driving to work. And my dad was listening to Seika Neha, the audio oh, tape yeah. while he was driving the truck. Mm-hmm. And my brother, he was always into Sikhi. So he's actually like, he uh, he never believed in eating meat, uh, doing any of that. Like he was very environmental focused. Um, so he was kind of already ready, just kind of waiting for us, I guess, right? Like he didn't know consciously, but he was already like a Gursik without being a Gursik. Um, and we all kind of just came home and they see me and they tell me and we're like, oh, okay, this is interesting. So it just turned out the way that our gutums fell. And I guess that's why we became a family in this lifetime is because we were all kind of on our own path to Sikhi. 
And Gurusabhi just timed it so perfectly mm-hmm. that we ended up kind of finding at the same time, even though we all did it individually. Like I wasn't telling my mom that I was doing all this stuff and my mom didn't tell us that she's listening to this CD and my mm-hmm. dad didn't tell us mm-hmm. he's listening to Seikaneha. Kind of just found out and then after that we kind of started traveling together. We started going to the Gurdwara more often, we started doing arts together, we started talking about the Katha that we learned. Um, and then a couple of years later me and my brother took Amrit um, and then my parents took them a little while longer. They were like, they were good Gursiks ever since like that day, mm-hmm. um, but they took Amrit uh, just two years ago or a year ago now. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That. That's amazing. Yeah. I, like, I've known you a little bit, but I did not know how you came into Sikhi. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons Barb Jokor was like, you guys talk to Gurleen because I've known her for so long. Um, yeah, we went to Waterloo together. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she was my best friend. Yeah, so I guess the lead question to that would be, like, your son gets at Waterloo. Um, it sounds like you've stayed in touch with a lot of them since then. Yes. Um, oh, because they're my family. They... Um, we weren't close friends like you would say, um, friends that hang out every single day and go to the movies and so forth and you tell your secrets to, um, they weren't those kind of friends, but these people helped me feel something inside me. Um, they helped me become who I was supposed to be and you will always hold those people on top of pedestals because it is because of them that I'm here. Um, Every success that I've had, I feel like I can draw a line back to them coming into my life. Mm-hmm. And they will always mean so much to me. Um, I would name them here, but I'd feel so guilty if I miss someone. <laughs> but right. Simran Gaur, Carmen Singh, Harsimran Singh, like um, Navjot Singh, all these people, they brought me to where I am right now. So I will. they'll always be my family. Yeah. Um, so, okay, switching gears to your career. So you did say you studied um, biology in Waterloo. Yeah. Um, so were you always thinking you're going to pursue, like, teaching from there? Do you want to talk a little bit about that and how you became a teacher? Um, I loved uh, being in front of the classroom. Um, and it wasn't because uh, it was what I wanted to do. It's just, you know how you have some things that come kind of natural to you? Mm-hmm. I have some people, you know, they're so good at soccer, they know how to kick a ball into the net, then there's me who's just all over the place on a soccer field, right? But being in front of the classroom came natural to me. I, um, I remember in grade 12, we were studying uh, in my math course, advanced functions, I think it's called. And uh, some of the uh, classmates were having trouble with understanding some um, ideas. So the teacher's up there trying to explain it. And this one student goes, uh, Gurleen, can you just go up and explain it to me? Because I understand when you talk. And I was like, oh, okay. And I'm up on top. I'm up in front of the class now explaining this theory. And then my teacher saw that too. So she'd ask me to run all of the review sessions in throughout that term. So I was like in charge of reviewing whatever we learned at class. And then I would have students come up to me um, during my lunches and be like, oh, we need help with this math. Just come do a, to like a session in the library. So they'd get me a whiteboard mm-hmm. and they'd get me whiteboard markers and they'd all sit on a table in front of me and they'd be like, okay, like answer this question, explain how you answer it. Oh, wow. So I guess just being able to explain my thoughts and my my process of how I get to solutions, that ability came to me. Um, I, I come from a family of teachers, so I guess that's how it's been passed down. But that was always there. So I'd always just find myself in positions of teaching. I used to teach um, at uh, Wellness Martial Arts. I taught karate for a little bit, and I loved teaching there. Um, I was not the best uh, black belt. I did not, I, I was not strong, like, you know, I just, I tried hard, I had grit, 
Um, but like clearly people were better than me, but they would ask me to teach just because I was able to connect to the students. Mm-hmm. So that was always there happening in the background. Um, but then, you know, you're a student of an Indian of Indian immigrant parents, you want to become a doctor, you want to do this, you want to become a scientist or so forth. So I knew um, science and math were the, like, I loved doing those two subjects. So I just went into biology. Once again, I was sitting there at the kitchen table and I go, oh, biology at Waterloo it is. Like I was just, I did not know exactly that that's where I wanted to be. But because I had so many of those, um, uh, uh, those little role plays of like, you know, I'm, I was being a teacher or tutor or so forth. Uh, those were all kind of happening in the background. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I got to a point where I go, uh, this is what I truly love doing, right? This is where... Uh, I feel like I flourish in front of students. I feel mm-hmm. like that's where I become the best me. And then eventually it, it lent itself into teaching. But while I was there, my four years of um, biology, I wasn't very, I didn't allow myself to um, stick to only one path. I was very open to ideas and whatever I could be. I was just kind of like going with the flow, especially because I had found my Sikhi during my bio, like my undergrad years. I was just too busy falling in love with Sikhi to kind of focus on school. Um, but then eventually, you know, it caught up to me in third year and fourth year and I had to become serious. Mm-hmm. So I became serious about just doing well in my undergrad. But then it wasn't until I took my leap year, until I took that year off in between undergrad and teacher's college, that I really gave myself time to think and be like, okay, I want to be a happy Gursik. Which career would allow me to do that the best? And then that's where teaching came from. And how did, um, let's say, your family react to that year off? Because a lot of times, let's say with a biology undergrad, you can pursue a career right off the bat or even go into med school. Um, how, how was it, not necessarily asking for that year off, but taking a full year off to reflect and see where you want to be? I think um, I'm very, very lucky in that case. My parents um, wanted me to take the year off from the beginning. Hmm. Um, I like my parents are just so um they're so kind and so loving and they just know that once you get into a job your life just starts yeah and it just rockets off and you get very busy you have all these responsibilities coming eventually you start a family and then you get busy with that and they're like all of a sudden your life just flies away in front of you and they just wanted me to stop and enjoy life so they were so um, okay with me taking that year off. In fact, they were kind of like, I'm so happy you did it because that's what I wanted you to do for you. Um, so they weren't forcing it on me either, but they were really mm-hmm. happy that I did because uh, uh, they were just like, well, you need some time for yourself. You want, I want you to be able to grow. I want you to be able to see what passions you have um, and just relax. Like you're not going to be able to do this once you get married, yeah. right? So do it now. So they were very, very okay with it. Um, and I think because... Our moms lead a little bit of a different life. You know, they went to school and then you get a job and then you get married and then you dedicate your, all your time to your family. And my mom's like, I know, like, when you get married, that's going to happen. Like, it happens to all women. Because in her generation, mm-hmm. that's what was happening, mm-hmm. right? So she just wanted me to take the year off and just enjoy. So I didn't really have any backlash. So if anyone's listening and you're in that situation <laughs> right now, l- make your parents hear this. Let them know that it's so worth it. You need that time to enjoy life you need that time to be able to think it through mm-hmm. because when you're writing exams and midterms and you have to apply to schools there's no way you can do that at the same time and still feel yeah. sane yeah, yeah for sure right like mental health is so important like just it's you you can't stay on top of everything if you keep piling stuff on your plate mm-hmm. like just 
take your time, like, you know, mm-hmm. take the pro- time to process it. Um, focus on your school while you have school. And then when you have to do your applications, just focus on your applications. So yeah. how did you go about choosing um, York University for your teacher's college? Uh, I had spent uh, four years away from home. Um, it was a nice growing experience. I learned like you know, how to do my own laundry and cook and all of those uh, life skills that you learn only once you're on your own. But it was nice to be back at home. So when I had spent that leap year at my house, it was nice sitting with my daddy again, my nanny, and hanging out with my mom and dad, and beating up Gurkamol. Um, <laughs> it was nice being at home, so I just wanted to be back at home. So then that's just why you, York was chosen, yeah. And so how was it, once you finished teacher's college, um, getting into the working force? Like, what was that process like for you? Um, well, teacher's college, I was lucky when I went to teacher's college, it was only one year. It was the last year that they did that. Uh, it was good, and at York... Um, I'm glad that I did choose it because it had um, double the practicum hours than any other program. So I was on the field quite a bit. So I was able to build that experience. Um, and I had some quite a few a good practicum experiences. And that uh, like when you apply for jobs, they don't really want to hear that you graduated teacher's college. They're mm-hmm. really hoping that you can draw on your experiences. Yeah. Because being at teacher's college, you're learning about how to be this ideal teacher in this yeah. ideal situation. Um, but then when you come into a classroom and you go, whoa, all that gets thrown out the window. Like there is no ideal situation. There is no ideal child, no ideal class. You just get what you get. So your, um, your employers are looking that you can draw onto those experiences because they need to know that you can go with the flow. Mm-hmm. They need to know that you can handle the non-ideal situations, yep. right? Because that's what happens in the real world. So Teachers College was awesome, but I have to say, I think they could do a better job in equipping teachers how to be teachers. Um, Because I felt like a lot of my um, in-class like learning that Mm -hmm. we did as a class uh, with my teacher college peers was all about the ideal situations. Mm -hmm. Um, And I draw back onto that because I know that that's ideally what I should be able to do, but not enough because I... I never have that ideal situation in mm-hmm. front of me yeah. where I can apply this strategy and I can say this to this child and he'll listen or she'll listen. Like none of that ever happens. There's always so much going on, so much more deeper. Um, and I can't, uh, it's so hard to be on top of everything, writing the perfect report card comments like a, and then marking um, fair for everybody and also trying to make my student who is autistic or an EL, uh, English language learner feel included. My student that has classroom like um, or has management behavior, behavior problems. Uh, it's hard to be able to teach to all of them mm-hmm. in the same lesson and then mark all the same. And then, you know, it's, it's never that ideal situation they talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, I was really lucky because at York I was on the field and I had to deal with it. I had to... Um, I know the expectations of a teacher is to be able to do all of this. Um, and then I had to go in there and figure out how is it actually possible for me to do it? How is it practically, how is it like, how can I make it practical? Uh, right. Because the, the expectation of a teacher is that when you have all these diverse learners in your classroom, yeah. you need to be able to teach in a way where all of them can hear you. But mm-hmm. when I have a classroom and I'm teaching math to grade five students, but I have some students working at grade three level, grade four level, some at grade five level. Mm-hmm. And then I have some students who are not speaking English. Yeah. And then I have some students who are unable to sit in one spot. 
how can I have one lesson that yeah. teaches to all these types of learners? Right. Mm -hmm. You ideally want to be able to do that. So maybe one lesson, I am able to do that. I find an open-ended question. I know everyone can access it. I have a great, I have students that are at grade three levels that can access it and do it from how, answer that question from where mm -hmm. they are. Mm -hmm. I have grade five students answering it from where they are. I have an English language learner using Google Translate and that works out perfectly fine and so forth. Sometimes um, it works out well, but then you have six of those lessons to teach every single day five days a week yeah. while you're not going to the bathroom, while you're um, teaching or you're holding clubs during nutrition breaks and you're losing your planning times because supply teachers are not coming in, like eventually, like it's hard. Mm -hmm. You have to learn how to make it practical yeah. and being on the field teaches you how to do that. Mm -hmm. So after teachers college, um, I, I was lucky that I could speak to those experiences um, but uh, we know that there's been like an oversaturation of teachers. So the Peel board, um, they weren't hiring as often. And because there's such a large group that were waiting to be hired, that if you were a new graduate, you were likely not to be graduate, uh, mm -hmm. not like to be hired because there's so many people that were waiting before you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So they get hired first, and um, it's about equity and uh, fairness, and that I totally agree with. Uh, so it's just kind of like you have to just put your time in and wait for your time to come. Yeah. So I did two years at private school, and then I was hired at Peel, um, and uh, now I was supplying and getting onto long-term occasional list, and eventually you'll get your permanent. Yeah. Uh, that acts as a great segue into the next question. So you have seen a wide spectrum of teaching environments: uh, public, private, supply teacher, uh, long-term teacher. Um, so can you talk about the difference between those different environments? You've mentioned just the kids. Um, the diversity you have in your classroom, but what about switching, I guess, switching through those environments, seeing what works for you, what did you like and dislike? And another thing that um, you kind of brought up was the concept of burnout. Um, I know when we work, even like part-time jobs, burnout is really real, especially with school on our hands. How do you deal with burnout? How do you find the time to kind of take a step back and transition into like, you know, just a you type of session? Oh, there's so many questions. Um, <laughs> Sorry. So, <laughs> they're really good questions. I want to make sure I hit all of them. Uh, first of all, like the wide range of teaching environments. Uh, so yeah, so I have seen quite a few. I started off with um, working at a private school uh, called Guru Tegh Bahadur School. So I was really excited because I told you uh, being a Gursik makes me whole. So it was nice uh, to be in an environment where I get to be a teacher, something that I love, and then combine that with um, also teaching about Gursiki and um, Gurbani and so forth. Um, but that school did not turn out to be what I thought it was. Um, it did not have all of those, um, uh, you know, what appeal, like we try to be diverse and we try to have equity and we'd be fair. Um, and that's because like public school board is always under scrutiny, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're the ones that are raising the children that are going to make these changes in the future. So if you yeah. want these changes in the future, we have to implement it in our own school board, in our own classrooms, and then these kids will do it. Mm -hmm. So because it's under that scrutiny, it's like you you do see a whole more of that, of fairness and equity. Um, whereas at private school, it's run by one person who put in that money to open that school and who takes all makes all the shots. Mm -hmm. And he, he comes with his own life history. Uh, so I did not get along with my first employer. Yeah. Um, I thought that he was very unfair. I thought that he was taking advantage of teachers. 
um, especially um, immigrant teachers, uh, he would make this comment regularly. He would say, uh, you're lucky that I've hired you, otherwise you'd be selling coffee at Tim Hortons. So you could tell yeah. right yeah. from that comment that he yeah. was not valuing his teachers. Yeah. Yeah. And when your teachers don't feel valued, it's hard for teachers to put on a happy face and still walk into a classroom mm -hmm. and then make their kids feel valued. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right? You can't portray that to someone else if you're not feeling it yourself. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there was no sense of community in this school. You felt like you were being watched all the time. In fact, actually, you were being watched all the time. I totally <laughs> forgot. He had cameras in every single classroom and oh. in the hallways and outside. He was listening to things that I would say. So I'd be talking to a different teacher and he'd spit it back out at me during staff meetings. There was no privacy in this school. Oh, wow. wow. Right? And he expected you to be there um, as long as you want. He said he had a funeral that he needed to go to. His sister's husband had passed away. And he didn't go to that funeral because it was in India. So he brought that back up to us and he goes, oh, I'm so committed to this school that I didn't even go support my sister when her husband died. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we're like, that's not a positive. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. not something you should feel like you are, um, like, condoning for us to do. Yeah. Like, no, like, I'm sorry. My family's important. If that had happened, I would have gotten up and left. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you like, need some work-life balance. You do. Yeah. So he was not for that. Um, so the burnout, you were probably feeling that a lot more at that school. A lot more at that school because there was no planning time at that school. I was teaching from the day, moment that I walked in at 9 a.m., till 5 p.m. He also had an after-school um, uh, program that was running. Wow. So mm -hmm. I would have to be teaching from 9 to 5. I would I would eat with my kids because there's no lunchroom supervisors. So I was in one classroom all day long, and my classroom did not have windows. Okay, so it was a small classroom, a little bit bigger than this room right now. Um, I had 10 students, um, and backpacks were in that classroom. Everything was in there. So we had to somehow fit everything in there. Um, and I just had to, like, I had to be planned at home because I never had any time to do anything. So I'd be there till 5 teaching, but then I'd be there till 6.30 planning my next day and photocopying. So 9 to 6.30, and that's a good day, really, like, 7, 8. But I'm embarrassed to say now, but that's how long I'd be there mm -hmm. at work. Mm -hmm. And then I'd come home, and then I would do it all over again. And doing that, putting that much hour into hours into a place and then not feeling valued yeah. really got to me. Mm-hmm. So I did speak out and then I did leave at the end of the year. I would have left at the beginning of the year, in the middle of the year, but you you build a connection to your kids. Yeah, and it's so hard yeah. to meet sure. them halfway through. Um, but I remember at the end, he even asked to hold a deposit, like a, I think a $2,000 deposit from us um, so that we would hire him back or he'd hire us back. It's some random contract. And I was like, what? We can't pay you yeah. for you to hire us? <laughs> like that's not legal. Yeah. And he like, he blew up at me and he got so upset that I, I brought that up that he asked for even more from the teachers. So I just got up and left and I tried to convince everyone to leave with me. But, you know, sometimes you get lucky and you come to a workplace area, mm -hmm. workplace where that man has a life history where he is like, you know, accommodating and kind, but yeah. that place was just not mm -hmm. for me. Um, but then I did go to a different private school afterwards. I went to Gobin Sarvar. Um, and I remember, um, I was really confused now, like I sit here and I look back at my history and I go, Oh yeah, I made so much sense that I did this and that. But then I remember when I was actually sitting there making that decision, I was very, very confused. I did not know if that was the right step. Um, so I had left Guru Tegh Bahadur school. I knew that that's not where I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but then I did apply at Goldman Server and I got um, a position there as a grade five teacher, a full-time teacher. But then I didn't know if I wanted to leave myself open to getting a hired onto the, the public board because that's such a bad experience at private. I just felt yeah. like I wanted to give up private altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I took a Hukum Nama and I'm like, Maraj, like just make it simple for me because I'm, I'm at a crossroads and I don't know what to do. And I'm like, if this Hokanama is from Guru Teg Bahadurji, then I know that I just go back to my old school. If it has Gobind in it, then I know I have to go to Gobind Sarvar. Right? Wow. And if it doesn't have any of these two in it, then I go to public board. Right? Wow. And I'm like, Maharaj, just make it simple for me, please. Like, no complicated Hokanama where I have to do, listen to Katha and all this and try to figure it out and read between the lines. I'm like, Maharaj, I just need a simple answer. And my Hokanama, the first word, or the second word is Gobind. So right when I heard that, I was like, okay, I know where I'm going. So I went to Gobind Sarvar and oh, totally different. Had planning times, had lunches, had breaks, had duties. Um, it was like, uh, it was like, I guess the, uh, the ideals of public board in this private school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the best thing was these students were great students. These students grew up going to the Gurdwara every single day. Mm-hmm. So they loved Sikhi and we just bonded. Like that year, probably my favorite year because I did not feel like a teacher at all that year. I rarely use my teacher voice. Mm. I rarely use my teacher eyes. I was just like a student. I'd come in and we'd all just kind of sit down and I had, I'd have this round table. Sorry. I'd have this round table and my students were sitting around me and we just kind of be like, all right, what are we doing today? Right. And they'll be like, okay, like, like, what do we have to get done today? And I'll be like, so our goal is to finish this in science, to do this in social studies, do this in math, and then do this in language. And they'll be like, okay. And they'll be like, okay, so I want to start off with science first. I'll be like, okay, so science period one. They're like, oh, I really like the social studies group project that I'm doing. Let's do that second period. So then we'll do that second period. I'm telling you, I came into this classroom and we work together to learn. We work together uh, to make sure that we were helping each other. Like it was just so, such a great symbiotic relationship. Mm-hmm. And I got to ex- do all these cool um, experiments, you know, like that ideal teaching that I did mm-hmm. in teacher's college, try these inquiries, uh, do these big projects, make a difference in the community around you. Mm-hmm. I was able to do all of those things because these kids were just great, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they were really responsive. They came from good families. They loved Sikhi. Um, and I think the best thing in that school was that we had Devon every morning. So coming in and having Darshan of Guru Granth Sabji every morning and starting off with that. Um, and then I was so lucky. Um, uh, the teacher had asked me to do, um, to translate the Hokanama into words that like the students understood. And that was such a great learning opportunity for me. I felt like I was never closer to Guru Sabji than I was then because I would come in every morning and I'd be like, okay, Maharaj, I have to somehow explain this to uh, like five or 300, 400 students um, and you speak through me. And then I would sit there and then Devon would happen and all of a sudden I'd get this furna, like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to talk about today. And then I would go up and talk and it was just made me closer to Vaheguru while I was making them closer to Guru Sahib Ji. Mm-hmm. So I did really have the ideal job um, at Goldman Center. Um, and then I got, uh, I got called for an interview from the public board and I still remember I got that phone call. Uh, school had just ended. It was 3.30. I just uh, bid goodbye to the kids and I get this call. They're like, oh, we have an interview. We like for an interview for supply teaching at the appeal board. And I go, sorry, I already have a job. And I shut the phone. 
And then I was also getting married that summer. So my photographer had called me just by coincidence and he's a really good friend of ours. Um, he called and I was like, Pradeep, I think I just said no to an interview at the public board because it happened so fast. He goes, what? Green, why did you do that? Like, just open up, keep your doors open. Mm -hmm. He's like, call them back right now and try to get the HR person on the line. And so I just quickly, I called back the same, that number. And luckily mm -hmm. that was a direct line to the yeah. HR. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I think you just called me. Um, and I think I do want to get that interview. <laughs> so then I, I went for that interview. Um, and I ended up getting the position. Um, and I feel bad saying this, but it is the truth. Um, I got hired as a supply teacher and I was working at Goban Server, and I really did want to stay at Goban Server. Um, but then I looked at the salary and it was double mm -hmm. at the Peel Board. Um, and that was only, f that was if I was working three to four days a week, not even if I was getting five days a week. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was still making double than what I made at Goban Server. And then I felt like an adult and I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta consider this. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna get married. Uh, I'm gonna have to start a family soon. I, I need to be on my feet, right? And uh, saying no to double the salary for the same amount of work I'm doing right now is is hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I ended up taking a plunge into the public sector, and I've been there since. Yeah. Um, at, at public schools, it's it's nice. The school that I'm at right now, um, I. I'm working with students that are not coming from the ideal homes. Um, they're coming from broken homes in the area that I'm at right now. Um, and, uh, or they're coming from homes where parents are working really hard to make ends meet, yeah. right? And there's not a lot of one-on-one -on -one interactions with the mm -hmm. parents and their kids. So they come into school, um, a lot of them come in with this like wall of defense and they're just like, I'm going to be angry all day because that's the only thing I know how to be, right? Mm -hmm. And they're calling you names and they're being rude and um, and all of this like extra things that you need to break through to get to that student. Mm -hmm. But then, oh, it is so worth it when you break through that wall and then you see the kid that they actually are without the walls of defense, without feeling like they're being attacked all the time, without that feeling that they're, they're not being loved. Mm -hmm. um, you break down that wall and you show them that love. Uh, it is so fulfilling to be there. It's a different type of challenge than I had at Goban Server. Mm -hmm. At Goban Server, I was challenging them to push themselves to become more intelligent, to find new experiences, to get the knowledge. Here, my challenges are to get this person to believe in themselves, to get this person to know that we are here for them, mm -hmm. to let this person open up so that I can help them. And the strides are different. Um, but right now I'm having a lot of fun doing this. I really enjoy this. So at this point in my career, I'm happy that I'm here. Maybe I'll be somewhere else in a couple of years, but I'm glad that I'm getting this experience. Yeah. Yeah. And so once you did get into the Peel board, um, you said you started as a supply teacher. Yes. Um, so how, what was that like? Cause you did have a full-time job before this and then from going from supply to getting full-time with Peel, could you talk about that process? Um, it was hard because... I loved going into my own classroom. I liked being charged in my, my own classroom. I missed having students that were my friends. Um, and I missed just going to work every single day. Because when you get into supply, you're only supplying at two schools. Those are your home schools. Um, and they don't really know you yet because you're a new supply teacher. Mm -hmm. So the first month was really tough. I was going in. Actually, I think my first month of teaching, I only went in once. 
September 17th. I don't know why I still remember that, but it was the only day that I got a job that month. And it was so hard because I left Goldman Sudver yeah. telling everybody, no, this is a better position for me. And then all of a sudden I'm not working. I went a whole month and I only worked one day. Um, but it was a bit of a lag month. But then as soon as in October, it started picking up a little bit. Teachers were taking more time off, taking more days off. And then I was able to go and make a name for myself in these schools. Mm -hmm. I had these little business cards. I was slipping business cards in with teachers. And then all of a sudden it picked up and I was working just about every single day of the week. Mm -hmm. um, and it was only maybe like here or there, uh, I would take one day off uh, because there was like a, a holiday and student teachers aren't allowed to take a day off beside a holiday. So then you would normally not have any jobs for that day. Mm -hmm. uh, but other than that, it, start, it started picking up. Um, it was... It was hard in the sense that you build your own classroom management routines when you go into your own classroom mm -hmm. and you know the students uh, trust you, they respect you. But when you're walking into a classroom, yeah. and you know, we've all done this, when a supply teacher comes in, you go, yes, it's oh, a yeah. free day, <laughs> no time. work, right? And like we have to be all silly and all that. Um, so then you have to deal with that, right? Mm -hmm. But I got really lucky because um, I do a lot of reading. So I was reading um, a few books and they had a lot of um, uh, routines and strategies that I could use. Um, and I just didn't find them fun enough. And I had to really think about like, why, what did I feel when I was a kid in a school? Um, you felt like you were smaller than the teachers. Right? Mm -hmm. And you felt like you're always being told what to do mm -hmm. and they weren't really hearing you, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it'd be like, oh, like, um, why are you rolling around on the floor? Well, no, my felt, <laughs> my pencil fell on the ground. I was just picking up my pencil. Don't do that again. Right? Like, it was just so like, like, why isn't there any understanding? Like, I'm yeah. not just rolling around on the floor for the sake of picking up the dust on my clothes. Like, you know, like there's, there's a reason, but they were never willing to hear the reason. Mm -hmm. So then I came up with some, my own strategy. I was like, I'm going to walk into that classroom and just be a human and be a person. So my first 15 minutes, I would spend telling my students um, who I am. Okay. My name is um, Mrs. Hans. I'm, it's actually Green Gorbrar now, but I just haven't changed my last name yet. Uh, call me Mrs. Hans. I like to do this and this and this. I love uh, cook. I like cooking, but I hate washing the dishes. Right. <laughs> Not really true. I don't like cooking either, but you have to find something <laughs> to make the kids laugh. Right. I love traveling, I've gone to these places, I love reading. Um, I would make sure that I would choose some points that made me, um, that made education look cool. Like I love reading, and I love doing all this kind of stuff. Um, and I told them I'll, I'll, I was a black belt in shoulder con karate, um, just because it made them think that I'm cool, mm -hmm. right? But I was able to open up myself to my students, yeah. to the students, and they feel like, oh, okay, you're a human, right? Um, and we would connect and we would laugh and we'd joke around. Um, and then I'd be like, okay, so now that we are here together, um, let's make the most of this day, right? Like I want to be here cause I love teaching. Mm -hmm. So let me help you wherever you need help. Let me do, let me be the person that you need me to be today. Right. Mm -hmm. Let's work together today. Um, and just 15 minutes of just saying that worked wonders. I rarely had to deal with classroom behavior. Mm -hmm. that's why I would keep getting called back. They'd be like, oh, like, what are you doing with your class? They, like, listen to you. And I was like, honestly, I do nothing other than just tell them about me, right? Because I do think that if I'm going to be ordering them around, they at least need to know who I am yeah. to be yeah, able to listen to sure. my orders, right? And that worked wonders. And I still do that in my classrooms today. Because mm -hmm. um, just 
it, it was, it's a whole different playing field when the students know that we're all on the same level. Even though I'm a little bit older than you, I'm still learning. I don't know everything in the world. I'm not going to act like I know everything in the world. We're going to figure this out together. Hmm. And that would, um, I think that's the, the biggest uh, value that I learned in being a supply teacher. Yeah. Um, you, you just mentioned um, not knowing everything. And uh, again, a great segue into the next question. <laughs> when we get into sick values at work, um, a theme in the podcast so far with our guests have been that there are many instances of conflicting values. Um, did you ever have a dilemma at work where your sick values didn't align with your job? And um, for youth that are going into the professional sectors now, why is it important for us to pick sicky over, let's say, career adva- advancement, um, better jobs, maybe environments where we may not be um, comfortable in. Like, why choose Sikhi over all of them? And in terms of being a teacher, again, the perception that I personally had of teachers was that they knew everything. And that lasted a very, very long time until about university, where professors would be like, I really don't know the answer to your question. So how do you balance? Um, in Sikhi, we always talk about lowering the ego, being humble, that we literally know nothing versus being at the top of a classroom and children look up to you thinking you know everything and then you also trying to portray that image that you don't know everything it's a very complicated type of puzzle how do you get around that wow that's a very loaded question Mm -hmm. that's my specialty (laughs) (laughs) um you can start with um like if you ever had a dilemma dilemma. where your sick values you felt like weren't aligned with situation so like for example you were saying with Gurdjieff father school like you would think that that school would be yes oh there's so many dilemmas in that school I don't even think it's worth talking about that (laughs) um yeah, one hundred. But like going in, you probably but thought that this school, like it's named Guru Tegh Bhadra, it that it's gonna be a key school. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it was that was my misunderstanding actually. Um, the name of the school was such, um, but the owner of that school had no intention of running it that way. Hmm. Um, and uh, uh, the uh, owner uh, was not a practicing Sikh either, right? So yes. Interesting. Um, so yeah, so he 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 ran the school, and I guess he kind of played his market well. He knew mm-hmm. that there's a lot of six in this area, so he named it Guru Tegh Bahadurji, right? Um, so I maybe I don't know, maybe there was some like sort of like good intention there, but I didn't see it. I think because me and him were always at like the other end mm-hmm. of arguments. Um, but yeah, that was not a Sikhi school, and I came in expecting it to be a Sikhi school, so. I did, there were a lot of dilemmas there because the, the way that he was treating people was just wrong. Like yeah. that's number one in Sikhi, right? Like Biyad. And there was no Biyad in that school. Um, and then uh, the way that he did arts of some shabds were just very, um, like he would manipulate them to be able to make his point. Um, and then there's no point of arguing with a person that's not ready to listen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I learned that. Right? Like there's no point with that. Um, so there's quite a few dilemmas there. Um, and then at Gobind Sarver, there were like zero dilemmas because we were like, it was, every person there was just bleeding like Piyad for Sikhi, mm-hmm. right? It was just so beautiful. Um, so I, I loved that school. And then at public, um, like I said, because 
uh, we want these students to be able to make the changes that are needed mm -hmm. um, in the future, we have to apply them ourselves yeah. at the public board. For sure. Um, so there's a lot of equity, a lot of diversity, um, like rules like at play. They, it might not be visible in front of you because you don't know who's playing out those rules. Mm -hmm. Like the principal might still like their typical white um, teachers, right? And so there's some school boards and you'll see the the staff roster and they'll be all white and some token brown kid, brown people, black people in there. But then um, I come to my school and you look at my staff roster and it is so diverse, right? Um, so my principal, uh, Deb, she, uh, she is like 100% actually values those values. Like she shows it in her work. Um, so I've never really been at a place where I feel like I've been at a dilemma where I've had to choose Sikhi or one mm -hmm. or the other. I've just been in a place where I can do both. Yeah, no, very fortunate that you yeah. can do that as well. Um, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so you had another question, I think, your second part of the question. Yeah, so the second part was um, balancing, not necessarily an ego, but knowing everything yes. versus knowing nothing. Yes. As a Gorsik versus a teacher of a classroom. Yes. Um, so... I know humility is very, very important in Sikhi, and I do agree. Humility is uh, the biggest step I think you can take to finding Guru Sahib Ji, right? Um, the, the path that we're on in our Gursikhi Jeevan, uh, the Mariada that you follow, uh, the own rules that you set for yourself, uh, you just have to remember why those rules are in place. They're in place because you're trying to look inwards and trying to find Guru Sabji inside you. And then eventually, and once you do that, you'll see Guru Sabji everywhere, right? You're connecting to that one source, Mahiguru mm -hmm. Brahm. Um, and the Mariada, so the, the outwardly procedures that we do, right, that we follow. Waking up in the morning to do your name, doing Gesi uh, Ishnan, doing Ishnan, um, reading your Dada Sab in the evening, uh, being careful of the food that you eat. Um, abstaining from uh, certain practices, all those, they're because they're supposed to keep you on this path and they're supposed to keep you facing towards your vision of connecting to Vaheguru, right? Um, so humility is probably the biggest step you can take on that path because this world is all mithya, right? So as I touch my arm here, right, it's part of me, but it's all mithya. It's all part of maya. Right? It's all the creation of Guru Sahib Ji. And they have these physical um, elements to them, right? Because I can see this chair, I can touch that wall. They're all physical, right? Um, so that's like the Satul Sri, like the physical Sri of Maya, of, of the world. Um, but it's all fake. Mm -hmm. Just like you wouldn't get connected to your, um, the, your player when you're playing a video game. Like you wouldn't get connected to what that person's wearing or the fact that that person got a small cut on their arm. Like, you know, you play their games and that happens. You're not crying yourself, right? Because you mm -hmm. know it's just a m mythical creature. Like it's not you. Um, just like that, we have to be able to take ourselves away from this physical world and realize that it's we're here. We're living in it. We're playing in it. You're supposed to use it, right? Take care of your body. But it's not the be-all, end-all. Mm -hmm. It is just a train for you to catch, uh, for you to take to be able to go from here to get to Guru Sahib Ji. Mm -hmm. Because it is with this body that I get to recite Nam, I get to um, recite Gurbani and become close and meditate and so forth. I use this body for that, right? 
um, but it is fake. So when you get in, when you take that humility jump, you realize that it's all fake. That it really isn't me doing this mm-hmm. because I am a creation of from Maya. Brahm inside me is the one that has that knows it all. Is the one everlasting true being, right? That will never die, right? Connecting to them is your ideal. So that humility, that jump in humility, is a big step. But it doesn't mean that you are you know nothing, mm-hmm. right? It's just knowing, but knowing that it's not really you that's knowing, mm-hmm. and knowing, but knowing really that that's not the end all be all. It's not really. Um, like you can't get an eagle from knowing how to do two plus two. Like at the end of the day, it's all mythia, right? Like it's mm-hmm. don't get ego in knowing, yeah. right? Not that you don't know anything. Not that you're not supposed to know anything. Just don't get the ego in it because there's no point of knowing. Really, yeah. you're you're trying to know all this just to get to the the end point, right? It's just the train that you have to take. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think Sikhi is about not knowing anything and saying that you don't know anything. Um, but I think it's about being, um, like just realizing that there's no point in it. So then you just automatically become humble. Like, yeah, I know it, but really like, why, why do I boost it? Like it's not Mm -hmm. anything special. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so, and then that's the same thing that I portray in my classroom. I don't know if I do these things because I'm a Gursik and I, 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 this is how I grew up now. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, it's just become part of me. Or because it's something that you should be doing as a teacher. Yeah. But I, I go in into my classroom and I tell them, kids, I'm going to teach you something. And I have no idea um, what it's really about. And I, I was able to make this connection. Maybe we can make this connection together. Let's mm-hmm. figure it out. Right? Mm-hmm. One day in my grade 5 class, we're trying to solve the problem to pollution. And I was like, I wish I knew, but I don't. So let's work on it together. Right? Um, and I remember one student was like, let's put plastic bags over all of those... Um, what are those things called that blow out air in factories? Right, uh, like those like uh, those like cylinder things, and they mm-hmm. blow. Yeah, they're like let's put plastic bags over that and collect all the bad air and throw it in the garbage. Nice. I was like, what garbage are you throwing it in, right? And like those are ideas that I would have had, right? I'm not any better right. than them. Like I don't know how to fix a problem for pollution. Mm-hmm. So I make it very clear that I don't know um, the half the stuff that I'm teaching, and they ask questions, and I'm I voice out loud mm-hmm. what i'm thinking right so that they know that we're on the same level on the same playing field um and i think that's so this is probably like it uh it came from my sikhi i'm very open with the way that i'm thinking like i like to be truthful right like because honesty is the best thing you can mm-hmm. have for your sikhi right being able to be honest um is so clearing like you you're not stuck in this myth you're not stuck in the dirt Right, because once you start lying, once you start covering things, like you get caught up in it, and then you forget that it's fake, and then mm-hmm. you lose your sikhi for a little bit. But being able to be truthful all the time allows you to stay on top of it. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I'm very honest with my students. So I come in, I'll be like, "All right, kids, I really wanted to get this presentation ready for you because I wanted to teach you, but I just wasn't on top of it all last night. I got really sick, so I couldn't finish it. So what do you say we finish it together and then we learn the song together?" Mm-hmm. right and I'm very honest I tell them how I'm feeling um or I'd be like you know what cuz like I really wanted to teach you this but I'm just tired like I can't stand anymore so what do you say today we do something that's requires sitting down then tomorrow we'll do that 
mm-hmm. right? And they'll be like, no, Miss Hans, how about you sit down and we'll do it standing up. I'm like, okay, fine, but you have to make sure that you're following the rules and so forth. Mm-hmm. But I'm very honest, right? And th- I think the kids really enjoy that. I think they respect that, right? Um, so, I like, Siki, uh, it inspires me to be a better teacher. I don't think I've ever been at a point where it's put me in a dilemma. In fact, mm-hmm. it's made me be better than mm-hmm. um, than anything else. Interesting. Yeah. Um, that That's a lot of the, I'd say, like, philosophical tenets of Sikhi. Um, if we look at the outward, I guess, um, that of Sikhi, mm-hmm. uh, we've had uh, Bill 21 in Quebec. And for those who don't know, I'm huge on politics. Um, and it's caused a lot of turmoil in not only the Sikh community, but let's say uh, the Muslim community, the Jewish community. And we've also had um, a Sikh teacher moving from Quebec to BC because of this law, which bans religious symbols in public sector jobs, which includes teaching. Um, let's say you were put in this situation in Ontario, very, very unlikely, but uh, expecting the unexpected, how would you think that would play out? And I think I want to add to that, like right now, when you go into a classroom, you do wear this thought. So mm-hmm. when you were a supply teacher, was that something you always had to address? Because there will be kids that have never heard of Sikhi. Yeah. yeah. Um, once you're a full-time teacher, they'll they'll get to know you and you're their teacher. Yes. Um, I think when I didn't talk about it and I just let it be there, it was always kind of like um, this mysterious object they didn't know if they could ask questions about. Uh, they didn't know why I looked different. And then it would be sometimes like the butt of their jokes. Um, but then, like I said, during that 15 minutes when I introduced myself, I'd say, yeah, I am a girl. If any of you thought that I was a boy, I'm telling you not. I'm telling you I'm not. I'm a girl. Uh, and I wear a turban. That's who I am, right? And I love it. I love it because it makes lets me feel um, me, that I can be whoever I want to be, wherever I want to be. And that's exactly what I want you to feel. I want you to feel that you can be whatever you want to be, whenever you want to be, right? Um, and I, 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 was, I, I let them know that it's because it lets me be um, in this meditative state all the time. And it lets me follow through on my sick tenets, right? Of being able to be spotted from afar and um, asked for help if, I need, if anybody needs help, right? It's my identity. And it's not, I don't just do it because I want to be part of a group. It, it is who I am. Like, you cannot take this away from me, right? And being very clear with that, um, it, it, they no longer see it as something that they can make fun of or they can question. They understand it. Because I think at the end of the day, every kid is kind of going through this. They're still trying to find who they are. And it's so nice to see a teacher in front of them that um, is, you know, that puts on a turban and uh, risks being ridiculed just so that I can be who I am, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and have a little bit of like hair on my face, right? And the kids always go, Miss Hans, like, why do you have a beard? You're a girl, right? And you know, it's not much, but it's a little bit of hair on my chin. And I'll be like, I don't know, Javon, it just grows there. Like sometimes for some people it just happens, right? And they'll be like, oh, okay, that's cool. They're just so like, um, I, I guess because I work with little kids too. I, I, I do see some intermediate kids and they have a lot more to say than just, oh, okay, that's fine. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, they can be a little bit more rude. Um, but uh, I think it, uh, them to be able to see that I took this step and it's something completely out of the norm for them. They've never seen someone with a turban. They've never seen something like this and they know that I'm happy being who I am, mm-hmm. um, it helps them also become more comfortable with who they are. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, the 
the atmosphere in the classroom is so much more relaxed. Mm-hmm. Right? Like we could come in and I could be very tense, like you're making fun of my thought, it's who I am, how dare you? You know, we're supposed to be have equal and fair and diverse and all this and they're sitting there making fun of me, like, you know, who is she? Like she doesn't even know how to get ready in the morning, like who is she telling me what to do or whatever, right? Like it could be very tense in mm-hmm. the classroom. But as soon as you just talk about it and you let them know why you're coming from where where you're coming from and why you're coming from there, mm-hmm. it just becomes so relaxed because all of a sudden they like, oh, I can be who I want to be too today, mm-hmm. right? Um, so if anything, I think worrying about this thought helps my students more than it takes away from them, right? And more than it takes away from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a little bit embarrassed sometimes, like, you know, meeting new students, they always have things to say. And I have a lot of my autistic children, they don't really know how to filter what they say. Mm-hmm. So they'll be like, just come in, and they'll touch me like, Miss Hans, I didn't know girls have beards or I don't know, like, why do you have this, right? And they're so like, they're just, because they don't know yeah. how to filter. They're so mm-hmm. sweet, right? But they're saying it because like, they're just, they're not saying it out of any like malicious mm-hmm. yeah. you know, being or any reason, right? Um, so yeah, so my outwardness, it was, it was scary for me. You can ask my husband, I guess he'll be listening to this podcast. And he's like, oh, you seem so confident on the podcast. <laughs> but at home, you're always like, oh, I kind of feel nervous. Like I have to go to this school and people are going to make fun of me, right? Because he sees that part of me. Um, so it's not all rainbows and sunshine. Like I do have times where I go like, oh, I just wish I looked normal. And mm-hmm. I wish, you know, people didn't have to always look at me as I'm different. And, um, I just wish they would see more than just my turban. Right. And they would just see the person that I really am mm-hmm. inside me. Um, but you know, when you look back and you go, it's done more good for me than it hasn't. Right. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, like mentally, like I'm, like the days that I am mentally stable, right? Um, it's because I get to, I got to be who I was while I did whatever I did that day. I got to be whole inside me and be genuine to who I want to be and then accomplish whatever I was able to accomplish that day. That's why that day is a win for me, right? Um, I'm not taking a part away, a piece away from me to be able to accomplish something else. I'm yeah. able to do it together. You're staying true to yourself. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. So, like, going back to the largest question, so the law that did pass in Quebec. Yes, um, yeah. I don't know if that's something that you personally, like, it, it hurt your feelings possibly because you do wear the star, right? Yeah. So if that was to happen here or if you had any friends that were impacted by it. Yeah, um, 100%. It is 100% completely wrong. Like, there is no justification as to why somebody that is looks different than you are cannot be a good enough teacher as you are. Mm-hmm. I don't understand the implications that it has on students. Like, I don't know, people that are making these rules, what are they seeing that it's an impact of someone that's wearing a dasad teaching as compared to someone that dyes her hair blonde and teaches or something? Like, what is the difference there, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so all of it is this, you know, like building walls around me because I don't want to see things that are different. I want to. I want everyone to look like me. I want everyone to grow up the way that I did because mm-hmm. that's the only way that I know. They're not open, um, so these rules are being made, but I honestly, I would be devastated. I would be broken. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have so much to be thankful for. I'm so thankful that I get to be who I am and I get to do what I love to do. And I have nothing stopping me other than the, you know, like there, everybody has bumps on the road, I have mm-hmm. those. But there's no big obstacle. I get to do it. I get to have it both, mm-hmm. have both things. And I'm so grateful um, for 
teachers in Ottawa that have had to, uh, or Quebec, that have had to stop teaching because they're wearing um, some sort of religious piece or headpiece or any sort of tokens of their religion. Um, I, I truly wish that, uh, you know, eventually that there's a, a stop, uh, there's a stop to that because mm -hmm. there is no reason as to why you should have to choose one over the other, right? And if I, if it was me, like, I know what I would choose. I would choose my Sikhi, right? Because that is why I'm here. Like I said, everything else that's mm -hmm. happened in this life is supposed to help me become a better Sikh, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I would obviously choose my Sikhi over um, my career, but it would break me. It would hurt me. Yeah, and I would really have to do Ardas and ask for the strength of Maharaj to be able to get over that. Yeah. Um, switching gears a little bit, uh, we've talked a lot about your teaching principles as well and principles of you as a person. Um, getting into the classroom setting, some challenges that teachers may face or the children, um, technology is more prevalent than ever. And I know that because I have a younger brother who can't be off his phone for more than 30 minutes when forced to study for a test. Wait, can you be off your phone for more than 30 minutes? I mean, I have been right now, but that's only because I was made. I, I truly can't. Um, and I know this even in the university classroom. I will purposely open my laptop, not have anything on, just so it shields me on my phone so the professor can't see it. So in elementary and high school, it's a lot more different. We didn't have that luxury when I was there. So how has technology and social media impacted your job today? Do you make it a strength in your teaching now? Um, yes, 100%. Um, so I guess a teacher that's in a different position than me might have something else to say. Mm -hmm. um, the school that I come from, a lot of my students do not come with devices. Um, they're just, that's kind of the area that I'm in, mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, parents are making ends meet, uh, so they don't really have phones or things yeah. that they come to school with. Uh, so the devices that they use are school provided. Right, mm -hmm. our, our Chromebooks and our iPads and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't have a lot of problems with teachers, with students being on the phone. Um, but I know that uh, any good teacher would have to make a strict rule about it. Um, while I'm teaching, there is no reason for you to be scrolling social media while on your phone, right? Mm -hmm. Like once again, you have to make it clear. Why are you here today? You are here to seize the learning opportunity, to learn what you need to be able to climb your mountain, to be able to get what you want from this school. So once you've made that clear, then you can explain to the student that going on Instagram is not helping you seize this learning opportunity. Mm -hmm. If you're here, be here, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you'd have to have strict rules of how devices are being used. But I truly think it would be a disservice if I did not teach my students how to use the technology, mm -hmm. okay? Um, you get into high school, everything is being done on computers. Uh, you get into university, you can't survive without a computer. Right, you get into not. any position, you are expected to know how to use a computer, how to use the devices around you, how to be able to make whatever you do more impactful by using the technology around you. Mm -hmm. You are expected to know that. So if I um, say that, yes, it may take away from quite a bit, um, like today, uh, like I try not to be on social media. So I've deleted all my social media accounts. The only thing I have is Twitter because the teachers should have Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, and oh, it's added so much more to my life. Like I like not being um, addicted to my social media. I like not knowing what everybody is doing. I like knowing things a normal way and mm -hmm. uh, being private about my life. Um, so I do see the negative impacts of social media, but... Beyond social media, technology has so much to offer. Mm -hmm. 
right? Um, for example, I'm working with, um, uh, so I'm teaching music uh, this term uh, to some of my students. Um, and we like to do, I like to do like songs from different communities, right? We just sang a song uh, in Hebrew. We sang one um, that kids play in Ghana uh, from Japan. We sang Happy New Year in Japanese. Um, we like to go to different parts of the world and learn no about different parts of the world. world. Sorry? There was no Sedimusera in Kodi. No, I. Yeah, we do a whole Asian um, month in April, in, uh, April and May. So I'll, we'll bring I'll up, be waiting for that. Yeah, bring those up then. Um, but what I like to do first is on Google Maps. Yeah. Um, and these kids don't know what Google Maps is, so they get so excited when they see, oh, that's where I am. <laughs> Things are drawing. Like, that's where I'm sitting right now. And then I zoom out and then we see the community and we see like parts of Canada, the rural parts of Canada and the urban parts of Canada. And then we fly over the Atlantic Ocean, right? Um, and or we fly over the Pacific Ocean, depending on where we're going. And we go into a different part of the world. Uh, we went to Japan last week, right? And they get so excited, like, where are we traveling today, Miss Hans? And that day we went to Japan and we're looking at it from satellite view, from bird's eye view. And then we walk the streets of Japan and we see all these cool, amazing buildings. And then that moment of reflection where they go, that looks like Toronto. <gasps> that looks like my house. Oh my God. Like there's so many similarities between us. Mm -hmm. We are still living the same lives. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so hard to connect to somebody that you don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. And all of a sudden these people were connected to Japan and we did the same thing with Ghana. And we play the song called um, Albisana. It's a game that kids play. Like, you know, we play, um, uh, ring around the rosy yeah. or so forth they play I'll be sauna and you pass a stick while you sing this song um, and we travel the streets of Ghana and I remember my class left my period and they go I want to visit Ghana when I'm older I can't wait to go see Ghana it's such a beautiful place the people seem so nice there and like all of a sudden they had this like connection to mm -hmm. a community they never heard of before mm -hmm. and it's so powerful in so many ways right yeah um, so I love integrating technology into everything that I do. I do it in my music classes. I do it in my dance classes. We do it during our performances and our um, assemblies. Um, in December, we made these videos. Um, you know, like when those uh, in those weddings where like the couple, they show them running from the car and they come into the wedding hall and then they open the doors at the same time. Mm -hmm. So we did that with the MC hosts. And these kids, they're so like naive and sweet. They're like... How come they're playing in the park during an assembly? Why are they out there? Who's recording them? Because they didn't realize it was all pre-recorded. They yeah. all thought that it was happening yeah. at the same time. Um, but but they love it. Like there's so much that you can do with technology and just opening it up for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then after that assembly, I had this huge group of kids come knock at my door and they're like, we want to make those kind of videos. So now I'm running a photography and videography <laughs> club at my school That's and I have awesome. nice. grade threes and grade fours learning about the golden spiral and the rule of thirds and they're learning how to take photos and you know um, technology op offers so much more mm -hmm. um, as long as you teach them how to use it so sure. uh, you have to focus on uh, teaching uh, how to use uh, the web how to be on the web what persona you want on the web um, I think it's really important to have conversations with your kids mm -hmm. about what kind of persona do they want to be on Instagram? Yeah. Do they want to be that cool guy who's like, you know, whatever photos the guys take or like that duck face that girls make? Like, do you want to be known as that? Right. You want to be known, known by who, what makes you, you mm -hmm. find out Agreed. what makes you shine and show that to people on Instagram. 
So I think those conversations are very important to be had. Um, when I was supplying, I was in one intermediate class um, for a couple of, uh, for a week straight. Yeah. And we had a lot of those conversations. And these students just had nobody tell them these kind of things before. Mm-hmm. They only saw what everybody else was doing, that my life on Instagram has to be perfect. I have to be doing this and this to be able to post this. Um, mm-hmm. I need to look this way, right? And then all of a sudden when they see, no, Instagram is a platform for you to be who you are, not for you to pretend to be someone yeah. mm-hmm. to make it cool. Like use Instagram, own it and be you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's offers for good conversations. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people are living in this world where there are a different persona in school and then a different persona online. Yeah. yeah. So like a teacher's job is to be able to connect those two and talk about the importance of, you know, being you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so as an elementary school teacher, you do get to teach different subjects and yes. um, you did specialize in biology. But what's that been like teaching math and other languages and now you're doing the arts? Yes. Um, oh, I love math and science. Those would be my dream jobs, uh, teaching those two. Um, but it, because I'm at this school um, and I was supplying at this school, I got really connected mm-hmm. to the students and the staff there. So when this position opened up in dance and in music, they wanted someone that they knew. So they asked me to take it. And I was like, no, I have no sense of rhythm. Mm. Like the Raj, I'm telling you, I took, um, I was learning Kirtan with my brother. He was learning Tabla. He can attest to this. He's sitting right here. I started learning Kirtan and I started at level one. And I had students that started with me and they finished the book and already moved on. I had a whole other group of kids come in and start and they moved, they finished the book and moved on. They learned all the shubs and moved on. I was still at the same place as I started two years ago. I put in the effort. I just have no sense of rhythm. Um, whenever I do Ardas um, in Sangat programs, I always have to ask Gurdip. He's always standing beside me. I'm like, Gurdip, please start off doing talk or Ardas because I still don't know the tune for that. Right? Like, I have no sense of rhythm. So I had to tell my principal, I'm like, this is a disservice to the students. I cannot teach them dance and music. Um, But then I looked at the curriculum and I realized that the arts curriculum isn't about learning how to move your body and dance and or learning how to sing and be a great singer or rapper. It's about creativity and thinking outside of the box and being open. Um, So I like to challenge my students. So just recently, my students had to create a dance that relayed the message to the audience that they need to be more mindful of their resources because uh, because we waste wood, we waste paper, we waste um, the food that we eat. Uh, these Amazon forests are being clear-cutted and, def- um, and the deforestation is happening because of the, the area for farms that we need, mm-hmm. right? Because all the food that we waste and we want like piles and piles of tomatoes at grocery stores, we want piles and piles of apples at every single grocery store. Uh, the trucks bringing them in, the pollution being caused by that. Um, so, you know, I like to challenge them. I like to give them real world connections. And then they kind of make movements out of that and then they create a dance. Or um, with music, I'm teaching a lot of global citizenship, learning about different communities. We spend a lot of time about learning about the indigenous, the First Nations, uh, learning their songs, learning where they come from, their histories. Uh, because music is such a important spiritual part of their culture so it's so so nice to be able to introduce that during music class mm-hmm. um so then i realized it's not at all about teaching the arts it's about teaching the soft skills like grit collaboration teamwork critical analysis um thinking skills brainstorming 
um, mm -hmm. all of those wrapped up um, and just kind of like you perform in a dance movement, um, but it's so much more. So mm -hmm. I think what you have to do is realize that whatever subject you teach, uh, you want them to leave with some sort of soft skills, mm -hmm. right? And the confidence in themselves, right? The, the ability to collaborate. Um, and then grit, most importantly, you want them to know that they need to finish whatever they start because then it's such a nice guarantee. Mm -hmm. Imagine you had the personality that you finished whatever you started. You knew that if you want to become a doctor, you are going to become a doctor. That is yeah. just who you are. You finish what you start. So that is the biggest skill that I like to teach my students. I'm like, mm -hmm. you need to learn how to finish things that you start. Be resilient, persevere, put in the work and finish mm -hmm. whatever you put your mind to because then you know that you'll do it when it comes uh comes down to that big test or when you're at the crossroads or mm -hmm. so forth um so regardless of the subjects you teach i like you focus on those soft skills um but yeah teaching math is is my um my ideal job i do math tutoring so we do a lot of open-ended questions i like to have them think about math more than just what's on the paper. I like them to be able to see, um, like I'm looking at a calendar behind you right now, and I want them to be able to see the math in there, see the fractions in there, see the multiplication in there, the division in there. All of that is in that that square piece of paper right now. Mm -hmm. um, I want them to be able to live math, see math, feel it, right? Um, so we do, uh, so I do a lot of those kind of questions. I love to open it up to them. Um, and you have to let the students know that they can learn no matter where they are in their terms of, in their understanding, right? Mm -hmm. We think that, oh, like, she's a math person, he's not, that's yeah. it, right? And we stop there, we go, it's okay, but you still know how to play soccer. Like, mm -hmm. even though you don't know how to add, you're fine. Um, but that's not how it is, right? Anyone can learn math, right? Mm -hmm. Our brain um, grows, like it's plasticity, right? Like it every connection everything you learn makes a new connection and the more you use that connection the more permanent it becomes and yeah. then it's there you've mm -hmm. learned it now you are a math person right so um i think i i do i did a lot of growing this year i realized that as long as i'm in front of a class as long as i'm teaching and i know that they're leaving away with those soft skills if not the hard skills of math and science mm -hmm. i am doing what i want to do um so yeah you teach a lot of different subjects and it's really hard at first because sometimes you feel um shy because you feel like they can see right through you mm -hmm. that they know that you don't know what you're talking about right like why are you up there but i i was honest to all my students i let them know that i'm not a dancer i'm not a musician by like by so far um but they know that we're all kind of working on it together and uh, um i guess kind of have a relationship with the kids that they don't really hold me to it they know that we're here together um, so just being clear with your students about that at first would help. Um, but yeah, um, and then you just got to go and learn the material, right? Or learn it together and then teach it. But you are um, almost every single year teaching a subject that you are not comfortable with. That's mm -hmm. just how it is. Uh, but uh, being a teacher, that's part of your job just to kind of figure out how you're going to go about that. And I think like anyone listening, like they can really tell that you have a passion for teaching. And that yeah. probably drives you willing to take up any subject and just go for it and be like, okay, I'm going to mm -hmm. figure it out and I'll teach it. Yeah. It's, it's easier said than done. I still remember. I think probably you were there. Um, I, we were on the way to SYF camp, ES mm -hmm. camp, right? Um, and I get a phone call from the principal and she goes, I need someone to come and teach dance. I remember and that. Or you were there, I right? I was there. I was right beside you. Yeah. And, I, and Carmen was there as well. And I put the phone down and I go, 
I think I'm going to be teaching dance and music. And Carmen rolled over. She's like, I've never heard anything more funny than that. Like, how are you going to be teaching dance and music? And I was like, yeah, you're right. I can't do this. So, you know, I'm going to call back and be like, yeah, I don't want the job anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not always easy. Like, it's really hard to convince yourself to do something that you don't um, you don't know about. But I, because I was in that position, I had to force myself just to get up and teach and um, put in that time and effort to kind of be more confident with what I'm teaching, like learn it on the side and then teach it. Mm-hmm. Um, now I can say I'm at a place where I know um, I can be more... Um, more willing to fl- go with the flow mm-hmm. and more open-minded uh, um, and because uh, I you know you, you learn how to get the kids to respect you and once the kids respect you then you kind of just work on it together you kind of go through it together right mm-hmm. um, so I'm more willing um, and I take more risks now but like I wasn't like that all the time <laughs> at first I just wanted to be able to teach but I knew how to teach right because you want to be confident up there you don't want students to be able to see right through you right mm-hmm. um but like eventually you get to a point where you have so many tools in your mind like you build a toolbox in your mind you know how to handle different situations um you just get to that point where you have enough experience that you can kind of go with the flow on your feet or mm-hmm. on like yeah by the seat of your pants uh that addresses a very i guess popular misconception because i always assumed that like let's say you did your undergrad in biology, you would be the science teacher at a school. You wouldn't be teaching these new things. That's just one of many misconceptions. And we know that this podcast is geared towards, let's say, uh, young, I guess, sick youth that want to take steps into these professions. But there are a lot of misconceptions that they don't realize until they're in the field. Um, that's one of them. Do you have any others that you want to make people aware of? Um, yeah, so the, I guess the misconception of uh, like what you teach uh, would be one for sure. Uh, I, I think in middle school and high school, you teach the subjects that you are qualified to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you'll have a subject that you're not so qualified, but then you, you go and learn. Um, but yeah, in school, uh, in elementary, you can kind of be given any position. Um, like there are always some people that want to be more like, you know, I love teaching music, so I'd rather be a music teacher. I love teaching art. I'd rather be an art teacher. And you kind of go for those positions. Um, but yeah, even for... Uh, French, uh, like, you know, you normally want somebody that knows how to speak French and has high qualifications, but sometimes mm-hmm. you're, uh, we don't have enough people uh, that can take on those jobs. So someone that's not so qualified in French might take on a job in French. Oh, wow. um, but you, you have to be able to, um, like, carry yourself in that subject, right? And the principal does see that. Like, she's not, she's, mm-hmm. she doesn't want a, a disservice to the students, right? So she picks the students pictures that are more capable of, um, be able to teach that subject. Uh, but yeah, there are quite a few, I guess, misconceptions. Um, one would be like the time that we have, uh, I guess people think that like we only work seven hours. Um, oh, but that is so false, mm-hmm. right? Um, you're there earlier and you always stay later cause you need to be able to prep six lessons for the next day, right? Mm-hmm. And in each lesson, you have a minds on, you have some sort of activity, you have some sort of way to assess, um, you gotta prepare your instructional tools, mm-hmm. all of that needs to be prepared. Um, and then during the nutrition breaks, you're running all the clubs um, during the uh, during your lunch periods, right? Or a student has having a bad day, so you go, all right, come in and talk to me. So you end up spending your time talking to that student. Um, and we don't really have much time during the day to plan, right? You get one day, to, one period to plan six periods, 
mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, or seven periods, how many, how many of your school has according to their schedule. So like, for example, I talk about my husband, he's a lawyer and he goes into work and he has to spend maybe eight hours that day just preparing for a case, right? Like he gets to go in and use his work hours to prepare for a case. Whereas as a teacher, I feel like I'm performing all the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have that time to prepare my case, right? I would, have, I would love to. I would love to have that time. I'd feel so much more confident being up there, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but we don't really have that time. We're, not, we we're given one period, which is nice. It's better than nothing. Um, but we end up putting a lot of time afterwards. Because mm-hmm. for each lesson, you are preparing it. But then you're also marking something from each lesson. So you teach six a day, mm-hmm. preparing and marking and and like and that's you know and then you go again the next day mm-hmm. right and during nutrition breaks like i know like i don't pee during the day anymore you know i've had to uh, you know my my body i've had to train it that i pee before i go to school and i pee after i go to school because during the day there's no time to go pee i cannot right? do that <laughs> yeah and you don't have like you don't have that luxury right um and it's and then yeah we might get the summers off and we get the two weeks off um, but we did the math and we work those hours through our, throughout our day and after school for the, the before school programs that we run, mm-hmm. the during school programs that we run and the after school programs that we run, wow. we actually end up working off those hours throughout our school year. Mm-hmm. Um, so teachers are, and it's, it's hard work because for every lesson you're preparing and you're assessing, but then you also got to prepare variety variations of that lesson. Mm-hmm. Because my autistic student might not be able to do it like the way that my other students are yeah. doing. My higher ability students might want some more challenges, mm-hmm. right? Um, my lower ability students might need something else to be engaged. So, you know, you're making so many varieties of each lesson. It's a lot of work and you need to be on top of it. Like you have your, um, your writing IEPs, which are individual education plans for some students. And that's a lot of paperwork. And uh, as a teacher, you want to stay on top of it. Um, and you want to make sure that you're like whatever you write in there, like I'm going to offer this student these resources to be able to finish this project. I want to make sure that I sit down with a student for five minutes every single day explaining it, or I want to make sure that I do this for this student. You actually have to be able to do that every mm-hmm. single day. Like legally, you're mandated to do whatever you put down on those papers to help this student succeed. Wow. So there's so much stress. And then you have one day. For example, I have 600 students that I teach. I got one report card writing day to write 600 comments and mark 600 students. That's it, you know, and you have to do that while you're teaching and you're performing every single day, mm-hmm. right? Because for me, I feel like every day you're up in front of the class, like you're performing, like you have to be ready. I have to have all my tools ready to go. I need to have this 26 Chrome cart, Chromebooks that I want for my students. I need to have the papers and the pencils that I need or mm-hmm. the crayons or whatever. Like everything needs to be set. All my tools need to be prepared beforehand. And... And I can't always just say, you know, like, and sometimes it doesn't happen that way. Like I had one student who moved from Jamaica and is so sad and he misses Jamaica so much. Um, and he comes and hangs out with me during the day, sometimes during nutrition breaks, because he's just, he's at that transition in his life mm-hmm. and he needs that support. But then I'm, you know, giving up eating my lunch because I can't leave this student alone. I want to warm up my lunch and eat it. So I'm eating at 3.30 p.m. most of the days. Mm-hmm. Um, and just trying to be like on top of it all, like I'm running a marathon every single day, I feel, right? I'm doing these programs for nutrition break. I need to make sure that I drop off my class before they go outside, everything's clean. I come back down, I take on these kids, watch them eat lunch, 
then teach this program that I'm teaching and then send them back up and then go get my next class. And I'm doing that for three periods straight. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, I guess one of the misconceptions would be like that teachers are, uh, like they have like, they only work seven hours, they're yeah. very relaxed, they don't have a lot of work, they just kind of go hang out with kids. Mm-hmm. But it's not that at all. If you saw the expectations of each teacher, you would be surprised. Uh, keeping up with all the paperwork, the marking, and you want to you want to be marking fair, right? So yeah. then you're coming up with all these different lessons, like you know you're writing me a test, but you're making a video for me. Uh, you're interviewing this person, and I got to make sure I'm watching all of that, mm-hmm. and then I got to make sure that you're not you know um, smirking off at this person, or you're not being rude to this person mm-hmm. while I have this one student who's about to pee his pants and this person throwing up, like you know, like yeah. it's you have to be on top of it all the time my brain gets so tired by the end of the day like i'm making so many fast split decisions second decisions um i don't like it's just you have to be on top of it all the time like every minute of the day like i know some teachers that they go home they turn off all the lights in their house and they just sit there for half an hour and go wow it's so nice to hear my thoughts Mm -hmm. right um it is like there's no downtime during your day Um, and it's like, it's, you're performing all the time. So I think, uh, that's one thing that I think the general public does not see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Unless you like have someone that's a teacher in the family. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, my husband has respect teachers. Like he, (laughs) he hears it. Right. So he knows now, but he was telling me, he's like, I never knew when I was going to school that my teachers did all this. Right. He doesn't. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a lot about like, again, the stress, the burnout, uh, teachers, putting themselves in darkness and isolation for half an hour. Um, how would you say you cope with the burnout? Um, what are some strategies, um, just some things that you enjoy doing that kind of resets your mental health? Um, I think the biggest reset for me on the workforce uh, would be having fun with my students. When I get to just like openly laugh with them and mm. something funny happens and we just have a, like, we just, we knock ourselves out, right? And it's just being open with them uh that really resets me and makes me feel like okay i can i can do this i can keep going um this year we always have a professional learning plan every single year you kind of talk about these three things these are what i want to do i want to implement to become a better teacher and one of my things was i want to be present while i'm teaching Mm -hmm. so i'm not preparing for my next class while i'm teaching this class i'm not marking uh this work while i'm uh, while the students are creating this dance project when i'm in my classroom I am present. So once I give my lesson, I wholeheartedly give my lesson. Then I spend the rest of the time walking around, um, working with each student, working with each group, making sure I'm part of uh, I, their thought process. I'm hearing their brainstorming. I am there. And I think that um, really is a reset for me. I, I love that I, I did this for myself because I realized how important it is. Um, you know how they say like, Ikman ikjit. That's in Sikhi as well. Like whatever you do, do with one mind. So when you're doing Gurbani, read it with one mind. Like your whole mind is there reading that Shabd um, or reading that um, Bani. Or when you are meditating, your whole mind is there. When you're doing Simran, your whole mind is there. Right? And that's the most powerful way to read Gurbani. It's the most powerful way to do Gitan. The most powerful way to do Seva. Whatever you're doing, have your whole mind focused on that. So then I started implementing that in my school. So when I'm teaching, my whole mind is there. I'm not worried about what's happening next class. I'm not worried about the next um, program that I have to run. I am just there for those students at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And being able to apply that ik man ik jit, 
I realized it's made me more um, mentally stable. Mm-hmm. I feel more um, balanced and I feel more grounded. Um, even though um, like that, there's a stress, like now I have to plan all my lessons beforehand. I have to make sure everything's good to go or ready to go. Or, um, but uh, like that is easier stress to handle than when I was trying to do everything at the same time. Mm-hmm. When I was trying to teach this lesson and plan that and do this and do that um, and make this phone call to the office and let them know this happened or write this kid up and a pink slip. I'm trying to do it all at the same time. I was just... I was burning out. Mm-hmm. I was doing way more than I could handle and I wasn't getting any um, positive feedback for myself. Like I wasn't feeling good about what I was doing. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden when I became, like I had wrote this down on my, my learning plan, I'm like, okay, I have to be present with my students. I want to be there. Um, I realized that I was now um, uh, more stable and I was enjoying the time that I was having with them. So when I'm happy the whole eight hours that I'm there, I don't mind putting in the extra hour and a half after school to be able to prepare my next lessons Mm -hmm. or to be ready for what I need to do. Um, Or, you know, like I said, I'm very open with my kids. I'll just be like, guys, I wanted to prepare this lesson yesterday, but something came up and I couldn't. So let's do it together or let's do something else. Let's figure it out. Um, So I kind of, I'm open with the students. um, But I think being present um, is helping with the burnout. And... Uh, the biggest thing is make time for what you love. Make time for what you want to do. Even if it means going out uh, during the weekdays with your family, going out for dinner, watching a movie during the weekdays. Um, take opportunity of, take um, advantage of every opportunity you have um, and make time for what you love. So I've been doing this. When I come home, I got to make time for my sikhi, my saj part. Um, hanging out with my brother, hanging out with um, my friends. Um, Your husband. My husband, <laughs> right? Yeah, that one's have to. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But um, yeah, uh, just make time for what you love and and just be okay with not being on top of it all the time. Just be okay. Like, forgive yourself. Be kind to yourself and just do the best you can with what you have. I think that's the best way to avoid burnout, but mm-hmm. it, it happens. You know, this life is so fast-paced these days, I feel. And my parents always tell me, they're like, wow, you guys are always so busy. But yeah. Like, in India, we'd be like, you know, was done. Like, you yeah. know, like, it was just so much more relaxed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But life is so fast-paced that I feel like everyone is eventually going to burn out. Um, but just put in as many things in place that you can that you avoid that burnout or you, you know... Um, you make them really far from one another, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, do what you love, be present, be aware, yeah. um, and just find the happiness in the little, in the little things. Yeah. yeah. And right now, actually, like in Ontario, the schools are, a lot of the teachers are on strike um, for elementary and high school. For people that aren't familiar with the strike, why are teachers striking and what are they asking for? So, um, our, so Ford, uh, has made has uh, amended the way that the schools work um, by uh, reducing a lot of the funding that we get. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, like the public is talking about, like, okay, uh, we're asking for pay, we're asking for more compensation. Um, really, uh, I think that is uh, that is a big part because, like, you know, you should get paid for what you do. Like, why would anybody else take less pay for what they do? Um, so it is a big part. But I think um, the bigger issues at hand are how the kids are being affected. 
So our um, funding is being reduced in terms of how we support our special needs students. Yeah. Um, so what happens in the school system is that when you see that there is something with this, that is something off with the student, mm-hmm. um, they require different kind of support. Um, there may be some sort of medical problem um, or some physical problem. Mm-hmm. Um, when what you have to do is you bring that up. So you bring that student up um, to a committee, right? And in this committee, you'll have a psychologist, you'll have a social worker, you'll have um, someone that knows uh, how to deal with hearing impaired or physical uh, disabilities, a therapist. Um, So there's all these different workers that Mm -hmm. work with these students. And then they they help create a plan that works best for this student so that every student can be successful. Now, there's problems in every process, right? But I understand why this process was built. Like, it makes sense to me. You, you, You get the support for the kid Um, the support that they need. Mm -hmm. Doug Ford has reduced funding so that those people on those committees are, um, they're more stretched out and they have more schools in their area. Mm -hmm. So they spend less time in each school. So even though you might bring up a student in September, it won't be till February until you have a plan. Because you're not meeting up as often. They Mm -hmm. only come to your school once a month rather than twice a month or once every two months, depending Mm -hmm. on the population of your school, right? So each student, like little changes like that make a huge impact on the student. So imagine your student is in grade three now. We realize that there are some sort of um, social behavior problems or they need some help in math. They need extra supports. Um, and you're trying to get that in place and you get started in September or you don't mm-hmm. notice until October, November. Yeah. Um, and you get that in place, but you don't have anything happening for that student until March or yeah. April. Mm-hmm. And then the school year's done and they're in a new, new classroom. Yeah. So a lot of these fundings have been cut short and they really affect the students. Um, our, um, the support staff that we have for these students, uh, the amount of teachers that we have supporting each student, depending on how many you know, support you need for that yeah. student, mm-hmm. all of those things are being reduced. Um, and then something else, um, uh, there's like this bill, uh, Bill 172, uh, that allows for fair hiring practices yeah so they use seniority numbers so that that principal not just hiring people that look like them right like you know there's like there's someone that's been here in this system for 10 years and just because they're an immigrant or they're brown or they're black um it doesn't work against them because they Mm -hmm. have a high seniority number they will be hired right so those hiring practices were put in place and doug ford is um moving to uh, remove that hiring practice right the equity hiring practice and I think if we're teaching our kids to be equitable, we're teaching our kids to be loving and caring and accepting, we need to be able to do that ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Sure. So he's moving to remove that. He's also moving to remove teachers in kindergarten classrooms. So that will reduce jobs. But mainly, um, like these students that come into school at age four, they need to be learning at age four, sure. not in daycare till age six, and then start teaching them how to read in, day, in age six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like in India, I don't know if you know, but like kids got into school by age three and they're learning. Mm-hmm. Students are capable. They can learn whatever you want them to learn. Their brains are so, um, like, so capable of learning new things and being good at learning, picking up languages. So you start, you need to start earlier, right? Mm-hmm. But he's moving to remove all that. And like yeah. it's just gonna he have a huge impact in our students' life. So there's so many more areas that he's cut. Um, our union rep at our school was showing me this booklet, and it's it's asked for all these changes that we want. Or um, after he's removed all his funding, and the uh, government is not even coming to meet us halfway in half these things. Like half the stuff that we want is not even being 
like um talked about like mm-hmm. they're not even bringing it up yeah. they're like just completely ignoring our requests and then on the government in the news sorry they're just saying oh these teachers want more compensation so they're um p- pulling kids out of school and going on strike right like they know how to badmouth us and mm-hmm. you know they're doing all that but if you were to actually take a look at the mandate that we're asking for you'll notice that 99 percent of the stuff is because our kids need it mm-hmm right when you overwork teachers like you can't be there for the kids that need that support mm-hmm. right we have students on ieps like uh, i know some teachers who have like nine students on ieps individual education plans yeah meaning they're learning different things so in one classroom of 23 kids you're trying to make up lessons for all these different students mm-hmm. right it's all teachers are already being overworked and when you remove that support that they have to be able to do that then they're more overworked and eventually yeah. you get to a point where you're teaching for one. You're not teaching for all anymore. Mm-hmm. You're teaching for one student, and if that's and if the students in there um, fall into that ideal little box and they fit into that box that they learn this way, they learn that. That's it. But for everybody else that learns a little bit differently, um, you're not counting for them anymore. And you remove that sport, teachers can't keep up with that kind of stuff anymore, right? So, a lot of the changes that he's been made are affecting students. Yeah. So I think. That's why teachers took to the streets. I was there with them yesterday. Um, and it's 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 important. Mm-hmm. And I think we have the support. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, switching gears to you don't only teach in your classrooms on the weekdays. Um, in 2014, you started re- running uh, Vidya Academy, which is a summer-long uh, day camp where you taught various school subjects like math, science, and English, as well as Gurmat and Gurmaki. So basically, uh, Kalsa Summer School, some might say. <laughs> yeah. um, you also spend your Sundays teaching kids how to read Gurmaki year-round. Um, you started this initiative by yourself in 2015 at the Gordora with less than 10 kids, and now it's grown to over 80 and with 10 teachers. You spent months going through the Chamkawa Saab Saka with the kids, and when it was over, the kids could not wait to learn more about Seketehas, their history, because of your unique and engaging storytelling. What is the driving force for you in spending not just your weekdays teaching youth um, at work, but also volunteering your time over the weekend to teach children essential skills like Gurmukhi, Hitehas, and Gurmuth? Um, I guess like when you talk about like, you know, burning out, and then I said you got to make time for things that you love to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is me making time for things that I love to do. Um, I, um, I don't think I was the one that spearheaded this. I think uh, Prabhjot Kaur, she spearheaded the Gurmukhi classes. I used to do um, summer Vidya camps, Vidya Academy. Um, and I used to love, um, I had about 20 kids come in and it was very um, an open-based learning program. Uh, I'd come in and I'd have a pankti on the board and we would just spend all day learning and putting into practice the art of that pankti. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very open-based. So like, um, I remember... Um, we were like we would find learning opportunities to be able to teach that to the kids. Uh, I know what Siki has done to me in my life. I know how, um, regardless of what's happening in the world, like regardless of the earthquakes happening, everything shaking and everything falling down, I feel so stable, right? Um, I might not like uh, I might not be stable enough that like I'm not being freaked out about it. I'm not emotionally being affected by it. But I'm stable in the sense that there is always a huge part of me that knows, regardless of what happens, I still have my Sikhi, right? Um, and uh, I know uh, even in my low points in my Sikhi, when I'm not the best, 
um, uh, the best Gursik I should be, right? Uh, I know that I still have my Sikhi. I'm very stubborn. I go, Maharaj, I know you didn't make me do what I'm supposed to do today, but I'm going to be back here tomorrow doing it, right? Because mm-hmm. life um, without Sikhi, I think, is even harder. And this, uh, it's such a good grounding force. And I love having it. And I know that if you are coming into Gurmukhi class and you're coming to Vidya Academy class, you want that too, right? Mm-hmm. That's why you're there. Um, so being able to teach that, um, being able to open up the doors for them by teaching them how to read Gurmukhi, understand Gurmukhi. So I'm very lucky in the Gurmukhi classes that we do on Sundays, I have a group. Um, they just, they're done learning Gurmukhi, they're done learning Maharani. We're now reading um, Barney's. Uh, so we just finished reading um, Girtan Sohila and we were reading like Santhya style like they would read and then I would like show them jumpkeys um, or how to pronounce words correctly and at one point I was like guys like don't you want to know what it means and they're like yes <laughs> like please tell us what this means and they were so like oh please like that's what we want to be here for so and then we started going through the arts of the of the Gurbani, right? And like I don't know the arts, I'm not I'm not Kotavachik, but just as much as I do understand, I teach that, right? Um, and now these students, I can tell they're getting that grounding force that I have. They're mm-hmm. feeling it, um, and they feel so special, right? Like, and they are special. They're spending their hours on Sunday learning Gurmukhi, right? Like God knows what I was doing when I was ten years old. I was watching. The Simpsons or whatever cartoon show was on, right? Um, and I'm like, you are so special that you get to be here and you're putting time and effort into your Sikhi, right? That is because you, you're like, the way that your Karams have um, landed for you in, in this lifetime is that Guru Sahib wants you to make progress in your Sikhi, right? That is why at age 10 you're here learning about it and what it means. Um, and we learn about... Um, uh, the ekta, we learn about the piyar and the humility that Guru Sabji has in their bani, right? And how humble they are. Uh, and we learn about uh, taking time, um, taking advantage of the time that they have here. Um, so it's it's so special seeing that happen for other students, right? Like it happened for me in, at Waterloo. I want, it's there's so much um, uh, solace in that, seeing that happen. Uh, so it is it is me taking out time to do what I love. Um, and I think ideally it would be so great if I could be in a position where I'm teaching Sikhi and math and science and all of that together um, because at the end of the day Sikhi is the basis of, of it all um, so at public school I'm not able to do that but then I get to be able to do that during the summers with Vidya Academy or mm-hmm. um, over the weekends with these uh, students at Gurmukhi classes so if anyone wants to come out, where can they find you guys? Yes, uh, so we're at, uh, as of right now, we are um, doing Gurmukhi classes at Gore Nanak Gurdwara on Castlemore and Gore Road, uh, Sundays from 4.30 to 6. So we also teach Kirtan, Tabla, Gurmukhi, Santhya, and Gatka. Um, and that happens a little bit before our class. Um, and so you can call us um, at... Should I put in a plug? Yeah, yeah. go for it. <laughs> Call me at 647-224-3110 if you want to join class or just show up on Sunday at 4.30 at Gornanis or Gurdwara and we'd be more than willing to uh, take you in. Yeah. And so as we're getting close to the end of the podcast, um, how would you describe yourself? Like, Gurleen Kaur is? Oh, um, uh, Gurleen Kaur is, um, I don't know. 
Well, what, what did you say? Did, did you get asked this question? What are you? Green Corps is what? No, we ask the oh, questions. We, ask we, the don't, question. we don't answer them. <laughs> Green Corps is a teacher. Uh, she's um, making mistakes in life and trying her best. Uh, Green Corps is taking... Um, so I've been learning from Samiram Singh Jean, and so I've been doing that, uh, taking my Sikhi very seriously uh, as much as I can. Um, yeah, and I'm just a girl rolling around in the wind, I guess. I don't know. Interesting. Um, so that's Gurlinkar now. Where do you see yourself in a few years? Uh, wow, in a few years. Um, I'm hoping that uh, I have my own classroom. I'm teaching math and I'm teaching sciences, the subjects I love. But really, if I was right where I am right now in a few years, I think I'd be okay too. I'm very happy with where I am right now. Um, and personally, um, I would hope um, that I'm further in my Sikhi, I, that I'm taking it, um, even like I'm, you know, climbing that, those steps. Um, I know there's always going to be lows, there's always going to be dips, but eventually I'm kind of hoping that I'm on still on a upward slant towards um, making that goal. And um, yeah, I guess that's it. I'm kind of happy where I am right now. I, we'll see where life takes me. Okay, so as we wrap up the podcast, um, we do a random five. So you don't have to think of it really quickly, but if you want, like what comes to your mind first? Um, so we'll start with what's your favorite book? Um, would be the Harry Potter series. I agree. I'm reading, well, I'm reading them over again. We just finished reading Order of the Phoenix. We're on the next one. Yeah. Nice. I'm proud of the fact that I've only read one, and I probably will never read any that of them. That is not something you should be proud of. Uh, That's something you should be ashamed of. It was a very daunting book to look at in the library in grade five. They were the biggest books big. there because I didn't want it, so I didn't want to read them, and that stuck with me. Um, what's your favorite quote and or Bonnie Punkty? Um, Oh, my favorite one... Would be, I believe, Tohi Mohi Mohi Tohi Antar Kasa. Because that really showed to me that there's more than just the outward look of Sikhi. It's not all about just the Rahat and the Mariada. It's that you're trying, you're on this um, path of finding Guru Sahib Ji inside you, right? Mm-hmm. And being equal and being one. That is your, that's uh, where you're supposed to end up, right? So it's, it's yeah, I think that's, I think that's the one Pankti I heard and that's when it changed my whole outlook in life yeah um what's a weird quirk of yours that you'd like to share oh i have so many um one of my weird quirks uh i love um sitting in silence i drive the car in silence i do not play the radio i do not listen to kirtan i don't listen to katha i just sit in silence i love driving in silence um uh and i think another one and the Prabhu always finds this weird i think it's normal um, I cannot sleep in a bed that is not made. So if I come home and I want to take a nap at 6 p.m. and the bed's not made, I will make the bed and then I would roll into it and sleep. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you could meet anyone in history, who would it be? Um, Mata Sahib Devanji. Because I think uh, she did um, so much save of Guru Sahib Ji and uh, she was connected and so much save of the Panth. Um, yeah, I think I would love to meet. Not outside Devanji. And lastly, what's your biggest pet peeve? Oh, not listening while I'm talking. 
I don't like that. Um, I like, because uh, I guess I'm being so um, aware of being present mm-hmm. that I feel like now I'm pushing it on other people. I want them to be present, uh, listening while I'm talking, or listening when somebody else is talking, just being present in the moment. Yes. All right. Uh, looks like we are getting towards the end of the podcast. Um, you did throw in the plug for the, the Vidya Academy and where they can contact you. Just wanted to let our viewers know that we also have this Akim Mentor database available on experienceiki.com. So if any of you do want to pursue a teaching career or just want to get in touch with uh, Gurleen Banji, you can check her out on the Sikkim Mentor database where the contact information is available. Um, so definitely check that out on experienceiki.com. And before we end off today, is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners? Um, no, I don't think so. I think we've covered everything. Uh, but if you are um, looking towards getting into teaching or um, just kind of some sort of life advice because uh, we all went through university trying to find out what career we're going into, how to balance Sikhi in school or in work. Um, any of those questions, just you can contact me. Not that I have the answers, but it's uh, nice to be able to talk it through with somebody and I'll be that person. Yeah. So thank you so much, Gurleen, for coming and sharing your story with us and uh, being open with everyone. You've been listening to the Experience Sikhi podcast. 